Welcome to About Progress, a podcast devoted to ordinary people who are striving to improve themselves, overcome obstacles, and make something special of their lives, all while maintaining a healthy balance. In short, people who know life is about progress, not perfection. Welcome and thank you for tuning in today. I want to give a shout out to you returning listeners. I am just so grateful for you. You keep me going. This little podcast is the little podcast that could, and I owe it to you. So thank you so much for continuing to share this podcast, for subscribing and leaving reviews. And and also thank you for those who have filled out the 30-second survey that I've needed. It's on my website, aboutprogress.com. Um, with the show notes. If you can do that, I'd be grateful. So thank you again for those who are just coming back every week. I I love it and I love hearing from you. I've done this once before. I actually thought I'd read the latest iTunes review of the podcast just to give you um, kind of some context about what they look like and to show you I'm I'm not afraid of some feedback, even if it's not like glowing but this one I thought was really sweet it's also the last one um it was by Carolina 44 and she says quote I've been listening since the beginning and have enjoyed every episode it makes me think about my life and what I want to change there have been more episodes lately of some higher profile stories with more intense life circumstances and while I've liked those I think my very favorite episodes are the ones where Monica interviews people going about normal life and doing the best they can I can relate to these and enjoy listening to the not as heavy stories while I'm doing the dishes but that's the great thing about this podcast too there's always a great mix of stories and life experiences. Um, thank you so much, Carolina. That was so nice of you. And I, I really did appreciate the honest feedback too. That's definitely something I can relate to too. I don't always like listening to really heavy stuff week after week. And I hope that I can continue to mix it up for you. Uh, this interview today is actually one of those. It's one of those that is super interesting and informative and entertaining and inspiring, but maybe not as like torturous emotionally. So today is Camille Andros. She's on the show. She's the writer of a brilliant children's book called Charlotte the Scientist, and it got published earlier this year after Camille was brave enough to go after this dream that came a little bit later in her life after she had her sixth child, and it combines all of her passions, literature, science, and children. Camille is really informative in this interview behind the process of both writing and getting published, but I also love what she says about rejection and how slowing down for her has actually helped her work far more than being super busy. She says a lot more, so let's turn to Camille. Hi, I'm here with Camille. Hi, Camille. Hi, Monica. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm just really excited to get to know you better. There's so much that I know we have to talk about today. If you can start by telling our listeners a little more about you, that would be wonderful. Sure, sure. I'm Camille Andros. I was born and raised in Utah, but I haven't been there in a long time. Um, I live right now with my family in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, with my husband and my six kids. They're ages Uh, My oldest is 16, and then they go down to age five, and I'm a picture book writer, and um, I am the author of the picture book, Charlotte the Scientist is Squish, that came out in March, and I'm also a frequent co-host and the designated driver for the Kid Lit Drink Night podcast, and that's just a local podcast. Well, I mean, anyone can listen to it, but it's with a group of 
writers here locally in the Triangle area, Chapel Hill, Raleigh, and it's really fun. So, <laughs> well, I can't wait to listen to that. I am also um, obviously a podcast addict, so I'm really excited to hear more. And that's really cool that you were able to find a group of like-minded people. Are these all um, children literature writers? Uh, for the most part, we write. Yeah, Kidlit, because it's the Kidlit Drink Night yes. podcast. And so they, they'll write picture books or middle grade or young adult. And there are some that write um, for adults as well. But for the most part, we we do that. We met each other through the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. It's called SCBWI for short. It's kind of a mouthful, but once you say it enough, it kind of rolls off your yeah. tongue. and. And that's a really, really, really great organization to find other writers that write for children and are trying to do the same thing you're doing. And they help get people published and things like that. So that's how we all kind of met originally. We are going to spend more time talking about your book and how it came to be and how you became a writer, too. And But first, I want to start with a little farther back and what you were like growing up and if you've always been a lover of creativity or achievement and writing. So tell me about you and growing up. Okay. Well, my husband always says that I need like 12 lifetimes to accomplish the things that I want to want to do or wanted to do. And when I was 11, I had a job and I worked on a farm near my house picking produce. (laughs) And I hated it. I totally hated it, but my parents made me do it, but, but I did like having some spending money because one of my favorite things to do is walk to the grocery store and buy candy bars and then go and eat candy bars in my bunk bed while I read books. That was my favorite thing to do. So it was, you know, it paid for that awesome habit. But uh, when I was 16, then I started waiting tables and then in college I scrubbed cheese vats at the creamery at BYU. That only lasted for a couple of days, though, because that was really really hard. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds awful. But I can always say I scrub cheese vats to my kids when they, you know, when they complain about stuff. So Uh, (laughs) and I worked on a farm and, you know, I've got some good some good bragging rights as far as jobs go. But one of my favorite um, jobs was working at the BYU Student Health Center. And I got to that was the job that was probably closest to what I really wanted to do or planned to do for a work field. And so I got to check in patients and assist with procedures and do things. And I really, really loved that. That was really fun. So what did you end up studying in college? So I studied health science. And oh, yeah. Funny because I love books and I love, I always thought I'd maybe be an English major, but then I, or literature or something like that. But I really also love medicine and thought, I'm like, well, I could probably get a better job doing the medicine mm-hmm. route. So that's yep. kind of what I was thinking of. But then I met my husband and we got married young and we moved away and I wasn't even finished with school. And so I, was finishing school lots, like any way I could. I would take classes at the college where we'd moved to down in Arizona and I would transfer them and do that. But I graduated, I was able to walk when my second daughter was two months old. And so that was a big accomplishment for me. That is huge. (laughs) I don't think people understand just how hard it is to to do that, especially with kids. That's that's a huge deal. Yeah, like every nap time, every 
quiet time, every early bedtime, it was just, okay, now I got to do my homework. Now I got to do my homework and get this done. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after that, so you had four more children and, um, where did that take your love of science and reading and writing, uh, while you're raising those little kids and, and now they're, um, they're a little more grown. So tell us about just, just that and motherhood and, and embracing your hobbies and talents still while, while you're mothering. Sure. Well, I've always loved picture books. That's something that I never outgrew as a kid. I remember just reading them with my dad and looking wanting to know what was happening at the, with the story. And he was always really detailed with the pictures and he'd sit and take forever to turn a page. <laughs> and yeah. I think maybe that's why I started reading young is because I mm. really wanted to know what was going to happen next. But then he would point things out in the pictures that I hadn't noticed. And then I started really loving to sit and look at the pictures too. And that just mm. never changed. Like I just started collecting the picture books and I've always, always loved them. And so when I started having my own kids, I would read my collection or we go to the library every week and get more. And that was just something I always loved. And I, I always wanted to do it. And, but you know, when you're buried in babies for a while, that's kind of, you're in survival Mm -hmm. mode and that's just what I was doing. But I did have a notebook that I carry around in my purse. I still do it. And just would write ideas down and I was at a friend's house and she she likes to do really fancy parties and this was I don't know probably maybe even 10 years ago uh, maybe not that long maybe I don't know seven or eight years ago and she was having a tea party and everyone was supposed to come dressed up and this girl came and she was dressed in this vintage tea like 1950s like tea party gown like what you would totally imagine like from leave it to beaver and I looked Mm -hmm. at that dress I'm like oh my gosh if that dress could talk what would it say and you know and just things like that I would always think oh there's a story there oh there's a story there and I would love imagining what the stories were and so I would just kind of write down ideas of what where there could be a story and um But also, I had always planned once my daughter, my youngest, was in in school all day in kindergarten that I would go to PA school, physician's assistant school, and um, further my schooling because I graduated, but I'd always wanted to do more. And um, so I was kind of on that track. I'm like, okay, well, these are the classes I can take now to get ready to do that, or I could do one at a time, or and you to be able to apply to PA school, you have to have at least like a thousand patient care hours to even apply to a school. So I, I know it's a lot. And so, and can I can your get, children count? I, I mean, <laughs> I know you would think I'm like, don't I get some credit for this? But no, it has to be like mm. actual patient care. hours. Okay. And so I was able to get some of them when I was working at the student health center, when I was in school at BYU, that counted. And, Great. but then I went and got my EMT license and started working at a hospital in Reno, Nevada, where we used to live. And I would work a shift a weekend in the emergency room. And I loved that. It was really, really fun. I mean, I was a total grunt worker, but it was, it was something that I'd always wanted to do. Like I love, (laughs) this sounds silly. I love Grey's Anatomy. And I would just sit and watch like all this. I love it because the writing is really good. 
and Mm -hmm. it has the medical stuff. So for me, it's like the perfect combination. It's like that show was made for me. And so I would sit and watch and I'm like, that's what I want to do. I want to do that. I want to do it. And then I had this moment when I was in the emergency room in a trauma, working a code with this team of doctors and nurses, like doing it for real. And I just like my eyes like welled up with tears. I'm like, I am doing this. This is Mm. something that I've always wanted to do and I'm doing it and it felt so good. And so that was awesome. And then, but before I could go to PA school, I still had a few years before all my kids were in school. And I was like, well, I've always wanted to do this writing thing. Why don't I just give it a whirl and see what it would take to, to get published and to write these books that I've always wanted to do. And so I saw this book at Costco on their book, on their table of all their books. And it's called the writers. um, Let me see. I'm not going to remember exactly what it's called, but it's like the writer's marketplace guide or something like that. And Mm -hmm. I'd heard from an interview that Stephanie Meyer had done that she used that to help figure out where to send her Twilight manuscript when she was finished with it. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll just get that and take a look at it and realize. And so I just poured over that book and, you know, it kind of started from there and snowballed on, you know, figuring out what to do next. And so that and then it kind of worked out. And now my daughter starts kindergarten in the fall. And I'm like, whoa, I was going to go to PA school. Now what? But this book's Mm -hmm. happening. So it's like, yeah, yeah, there's it's hard to know when you have um I'm similar. I like, I have a lot of, I have a lot of interests. There's a lot of things I like to do and dreams I have, Uh, but I don't, but it's hard to know where, where is it worth to devote your time alongside motherhood? Like what's worth it? Yeah. The time and energy. How how old are your kids now? So my oldest is 16. I have a 16 year old, a 15 year old, a 13 year old, a 10 year old, a eight year old and a five year old. And it's wow. two girls at the top, two boys yeah. in the middle, and two girls at the bottom. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. It is. Okay. So, fun. so it sounds, I mean, I, I have three. So you have double my, the amount of kids. And I just think, I, I don't know how you do it. I want to know why you place such importance on still uh, growing yourself and still having your own passions and dreams and hobbies alongside the heavy grunt work that it is to raise six children. Yeah. Well, that's a good question. <laughs> I I don't know. I mean, I feel like I'm happier, more interesting person when I am when I have something that I'm interested in that I'm working on. Um and it's gone through stages of different things, you know, that I can do with where I'm at in life. Like there was a stage where I really loved making cookies. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I'm going to really learn how to make cookies really good. And so I would make a ton of cookies and I looked up blogs and I would figure out how to frost sugar cookies and which recipes were the best and what, you know, just, and so I, I learned how to do that. And then there was a time where I was really, I, my pregnancies are kind of tough and I couldn't do a whole lot after like two o'clock in the afternoon. I was just Mm. done. And yeah. luckily, I still had little kids that napped. And so I would wait as, until about that two o'clock time. I'd put them down for a nap and I would just lay down 
and watch cooking shows. And so I'd like learn how to do all these different things, watching That is shows. awesome. <laughs> we would be the best friends in real life, you know? Hey, well, let's be best friends. I'm great with that. That's my- Let's do it now. My favorite thing is meeting new people and making Yeah. Friends. I love it. So. Well, I just love though that you're speaking on, there's a time and a season. Yeah. And yeah. there's a time to devote- uh, one dream over another. And even if that dream is being a sane parent. Totally. Totally. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah, for sure. So let's talk more about that um, that evolution then for you as you're getting into, well, let's go- get into writing. Mm-hmm. And what gave you the idea for this particular book that was recently published? <laughs> so this book, um, the idea for Charlotte, the scientist, came from being part of a big family, um, but also dreaming big dreams. And my husband is the sixth of 10 kids, and mm. he has eight sisters and one brother, and I'm the oldest of seven kids. And so wow. all of his brothers and sisters are having kids, and my brothers and sisters are having kids. So my kids have over 85 first cousins. Wow. (laughs) But the the story kind of came in stages, too. At first, you know, it was just about a big family and this bunny that was really squished and needed some space. And then it kind of evolved and I would get more ideas. And um, so over time, it became Charlotte. But um, yeah, so that's kind of how Charlotte came together. But also, I remember in seventh grade... I was in a science class and I'd never really thought of myself as very smart or even that I could like science. I'm like, that's something boys do is science. And, um, that's what I thought. And, but I really loved this science class that I was taking in seventh grade. Like who loves seventh grade science? I don't know. I'm weird. And I remember dissecting worms. <laughs> yes, in that class. I loved that. I love, and the frogs and the, anyway, but I had a teacher who asked a question. I don't even remember what the question was. And I raised my hand and answered and I said, it's, it could be a black hole. And he was, he looked at me like I had just given him the key to the universe. Like I was so smart. <laughs> He's like, yes. And he made me feel so smart. And I loved that feeling. And I want kids to have that feeling too. Like when they read Charlotte, mm-hmm. I want them to be thinking that they can solve a problem and they are smart and they can be scientists too. So it's kind of combined both of those things. Love that. So who who else inspired you along the way as you were a, a child and then a young adult and then a, an adult to, to pursue your passions and to open your mind towards possibilities? Oh, that's a good question too. Um, I don't, as a kid, I don't know. I feel like I just kind of did what I want. <laughs> I don't know that I looked to anybody in particular. Um, my dad's really creative. He owns his own film production company. And so I feel like I might get some of that creativity from him. And um, he, I, I do remember him saying to me once, he's like, I bet you're going to be a writer because 
your grandma is a writer, I'm a writer, and I bet you could be a writer too. And I remember kind of, I was just really little because I remember sitting on his lap when he was telling me this, but that that stuck Mm. with me. And I remember playing down in the basement. We had this old typewriter and I would play um, writer. Like I would pretend I was an author and I'd just go down there and like type. And my friends would be like, this is the boringest game ever. Oh Which my is gosh. super funny because, you know, that's what you do. You just sit and your friends are like, come and do something. And you're like, no, I have to write my book. <laughs> <laughs> but, grow, you know, getting older and realizing I really do want to try and do this sometime. I looked at other women who were in similar stages of life as me, but were doing it. You know, like Shannon Hale, Ali Condi, um, Stephanie Meyer, she gets kind of a bad rap now. I don't know why. I feel so bad for her. I, I shouldn't feel bad for her. She's great. Um, like Stephanie Meyer's, I, I think her books are awesome. Yeah, they totally are. And she's incredibly yeah. successful. She is super successful. So I don't really feel bad for her. No, but I, I do feel like people sometimes say that or give those Twilight books a bad rap. But really, she her first book that she wrote got published like that doesn't Mm -hmm. happen I don't know if people realize that or not most people that have books that are published it's like their eighth or ninth or tenth novel that they've written that finally gets published and so if my first novel that I wrote got published oh my gosh I'd want to go hide under a rock it's so bad you know and so oh yeah her first novel that she wrote got published that's amazing and it was a huge success so I was looking to women like that that were had little kids at home and were doing it and you know I was reading their blogs and seeing what they did and um I was like okay well maybe someday you know maybe someday and But then once I kind of had that breather, my youngest, she was like 18 months or two years old and I knew we weren't going to be having anymore. And I was like, okay, well now I've got a little time and I might be able to do this. And so just tried to figure it out. Well, and what I've seen, what, what you've already said is that even along the way, you have taken small steps to get towards somewhere. So even if it was the EMT for you, even though that's not the eventual path you've gone down right now, you still might, but you took those small steps to ensure that you were putting yourself in the position where you could move towards a dream. And then with this writing, you talked about having a notebook and writing down ideas and having your mind open and looking at people and studying them and following them and learning from them. You did that. You did those small steps along the way. And I think that's so important. Yeah, it is. It's something that I tell kids when I go visit schools and do school visits, author visits. They, I say, you know, the preparation will meet your opportunity, and that is when you can have success. So you need to work really hard and be ready for when you get that chance because you never know mm. when it's going to come. And and I certainly didn't. I had no idea, you know, that I would ever get a chance to really do this. And so um, – but yeah, that and preparation. You, you made it. Oh, it's pretty Let's crazy, about- kind of surreal. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure after after so much hard work too. You, you talked about how people don't usually get their first book published. So for you, what number of book was this for you? So 
this and this is kind of funny. I was I had a story and it was actually that story about that dress that I talked about earlier, that tea party dress. It's evolved. It's not about a tea party dress now, but um yeah. but the impetus of a dress having a story to tell. And um so I had worked on that book for a long time and it's a picture book and so it's like not a novel, you know, but I had worked on that for a long time. And that's what I was really trying to get published and thought would, I would get published first, just because that's what I'd worked the hardest and longest on. Um, But also at the same time, I was working on other stories, because I knew that I well, I really wanted to get an agent. And I knew that because most publishing houses don't accept unagented manuscript submissions. Mm. And so Mm. I knew that that's what I wanted to do to really have my best shot at it. You know, the other women that I taught other authors, you know, Shannon Hale and Ali Condi and Stephanie Meyer, they all got an agent. And that's how it worked for, you know, that's, that was the best course for them. And so I wanted to do that. And get an agent. And, um, so that's what I, does that entail having like a portfolio sort of, of your writing yes. and yeah. Okay. Cause you'll, what you do is you have this query letter that basically tells a little bit about you, a little bit about your story, and then you send it to agents. And so I was doing that. And, um, but the first thing they will ask if they like what they see is, do you have more? And so I knew I needed to have more stories so that when they asked, I was prepared for that. Um, so I had these other stories I was working on and they, they do Twitter does these Twitter pitch parties and they are quarterly. Well, I think it's different now. It's been a couple years now since several years since I did this. And I think it's evolved a little bit, but where you could tweet in 140 characters or less, a hook for your story or like your pitch for it. And agents will go through that hashtag. And if they like it or favorite it, then that's an invitation to submit to them. And sometimes those agents aren't even accepting submissions at the time. So it gets you in the door that way too. Cause if they like it, even if they're not accepting normal submissions, they want you to send it to them. So that's actually how I got my first offer uh, from an agent. And since I'd been sending out lots of queries to lots of agents. Once you get an offer, then you need to let all the other agents know that you have an offer and then that gives them a chance to offer as well. And so I Mm. got um, some more offers that way and I was able to choose an agent and that was awesome and amazing. That was like one of the most exciting times. Well, how much work just goes into getting an agent? (laughs) Oh, I I mean, that stops me right there. I mean, just even having to narrow down your pitch to 140 characters alone, that's so, that's such a pressure. Yeah. And all those steps, how, how did you get the gumption to do that, to do all that grunt work that it took to even get an agent? So, I mean, it was kind of like a hobby, like you were saying at first, it was something I would do during nap time that I was interested in. I would research different agents and who was making great picture book sales and who was, you know, the movers and the shakers in the business. And I'd go to the library and I'd look at, you know, get my favorite books and then you can see who's publishing them and you can look up the author and the author's website will 
lots of times tell who the agent, who their agent is. And mm-hmm. you, I joined SCBWI, like I mentioned earlier, and they have conferences all over the world and agents go to those. And so you can, if there's a certain agent that you're really interested in, then I would try and go to a conference they were going to be at so I could meet them. And then in my query letter, I could say, it was so nice to meet you at this conference. Mm. And um, I, I didn't do that a lot because that's expensive you know, to go yeah. to these conferences. But I did do that a couple of different times. And um, I felt like it was kind of um, a master program in and of itself going to these different conferences and learning from the best in the industry you know they have the vice presidents and of Simon and Schuster he comes and says what he's looking for you know in picture books and then and you get to meet people from all over the country that are trying to do the same thing that you're doing and it's really inspiring and helps you remember okay I'm not the only one trying to do this. And then you see success stories and you're like, all right, it works. Like people are doing it. And, and it's really fun. Like yesterday I just, we, I was on the, I saw a tweet that my, my book Charlotte was, um, included in a list for the school library journal with another girl's book that I met at a conference, like several years ago when we were nobody and didn't, even know what we we're doing and we're just trying to figure this whole publishing thing out yeah. and and we were together doing it and then our books were like next to each other on this on this um article and it was so cool i was that was really exciting so oh i kind of forgot where so that question inspiring was too <laughs> well rambling oh no 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 you're no this isn't this is so incredible to hear about the process too it, we were just talking about what inspired you and i think it to do the grant work for it oh, yeah. and yeah the grunt work. Yeah. Yeah. To push through that, you know, um, cause sometimes when you have a dream, you're like, Oh, I want to, I want to write a book or I mean, just, just things like that. You, everyone has things on their bucket list, but yeah. when you think about all the small steps it takes to get there, it seems so intimidating and so hard that you just never start. Right. So I'm just impressed yeah. that you started and then you kept going and just those little steps. Yeah. It, I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was interesting and and it's hard when you get like lots of rejections, but some for mm-hmm. well first you don't even hear anything. Like you send stuff out and you just hear nothing. And then eventually mm-hmm. you start getting form rejections and then you're like, "Oh my gosh, I got a rejection." Yay. <laughs> it's almost exciting because it's a like formal rejection. The publishing world, you know, even if it's mm. saying no and it's a form rejection, you know. Yeah. But then eventually it get you start getting personalized rejections. And that's awesome because then you know you're getting close. And and you can mm. use those personalized rejections to make your work better. And instead of beating yourself down for it, think of it as an opportunity. Cause if they say, Oh, you know, I didn't like your story because of this and this. And you're like, oh, well, yeah, I could make it better that way and put that into it or, or whatever. And so using those rejections as an opportunity to, to get better is great instead of, well, I like how you're down for it. Well, I like how you're viewing that as a reason to, to see the good and what you're doing and to improve instead of a reason to hate yourself and to identify yourself as a failure. That's incredible, Camille. Uh, I, I just, I talk to new writers a lot. I mean, I feel like I'm a new writer still. I mean, this all really happened so fast for me. Like I 
feel really grateful and it's been kind of a whirlwind. But there's people who've been trying a lot longer than I have to get published and and it's really easy to get discouraged, really mm. easy. But also remember that, you know, <laughs> the people that are published are the ones that didn't give up. You know, they just kept going. And I've got friends now. It's funny to be able to call like Jennifer Nielsen a friend. She writes, you know, she's a New York Times bestselling author. And we were just at a conference together speaking and she showed all of her rejection letters. And there were a lot of them, like lots Mm. and lots and lots. And she said she talked to someone who was like, oh, I'm just so discouraged. I've just gotten all these rejections. And she's like, well, how many have you caught? And they were like, you know, 17. And she's like, oh my gosh. And she just started laughing. And she's like, that's rude. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to laugh. But then she like pulls out this stack of just tons of rejections, you know? So you just have to know that's part of the business. And, and I don't want this to sound like depressing, but it doesn't stop. Like once you get published, the rejections don't stop coming. Like you can have a editor that's like publishing your work, but then you hand them something and they're like, no, I don't no, we're not doing that. And that happens. And Mm. it's happened to me. It's happened to my friend, like James Dashner, who has movies out, you know, (laughs) from his. And that still happens to him. So it still happens. But, you know, you just keep getting better with it. No matter, you know, if you let it get you down and make you stop, then you'll never do what you really want to do. So. So when you did that, that tweet uh-huh. with the pitch yeah. uh, was that for Charlotte the scientist or was that for your dress book yeah so i've been doing both of them but the and i would get requests like i did i would do this twitter pitch party i think i'd done it like four or five times already and it's a lot of work to set up i would set up a tweet deck and because you could send like do two tweets an hour for 8 hours or whatever but they couldn't be exactly the same or else Twitter wouldn't post them and anyway so you'd have to make diff make them a little bit different and it just took a ton of time and i had forgotten this day that it was actually happening and i was like oh man i just don't think i have time i got to get kids to school i got to do this and this and this and and i was like okay i'll just send out a couple and see what happens and so I I did it and it and the request was for I for Charlotte and so I sent it off and I didn't think I would hear anything cuz I'd gotten requests before but they were always rejections after you know so I just sent it off and but then a few days later I got an email and she's like I love it I would love to talk with you and so that was so fun that was the that such a fun. fun email and that was that happened in December of several years ago and then just I remember that December so fondly because it was like my inbox was so much fun to go into because yeah. I would get more more um, requests from agents and just the nicest things were being said and so much exciting stuff was happening. I'm like, this is so cool. It was such an exciting, fun time. So, Did you already have an illustrator by that point? No. So that's one thing that is that most people don't realize is you don't find your own illustrator in publishing. Mm. If, if your uh, manuscript gets bought, you don't um, do it with an illustrator. They have a whole in-house art department. That's incredible and amazing. And they have an art director and they hire an illustrator to illustrate your work. If you're not an illustrator, which I am not, 
But because I was so new, like brand new, nobody knew who I was, and they and the agency that I am at has amazing artists and amazing talent. And so they, my agent paired me with an illustrator uh, for the submission when we sent Charlotte to different editors and different publishing houses. Um, So, and that's unusual. That doesn't happen all the time. And so, but the publishing house can still decide not to use the illustrator if they like the text but don't like the art, they can say no to the art Mm. and still take the manuscript um, and hire their own. But because Brienne Farley is amazing and wonderful, they, of course, loved what she had done. And I think that really helped get um, notice on the manuscript or on the submission. And we ended up having like four different offers from four different publishing houses to publish Charlotte. So that was so thrilling. It was it was like, that was the perfect word. It was so exciting. Yeah. And I love, I do love the illustrations of this book so much. And I love the writing. It's, it's just so perfect how it's all paired together and we're addicted in our house. It's a oh, wonderful thanks. book. Thanks. Yeah. Brian's art is just incredible. And I loved those end papers at, you know, at the beginning that have the design of the spaceship. Yeah. I just, oh, it's they love so, it too. My kids like so to fun look to look at. Me too. I love it. <laughs> So you've opened a whole new world to me. This is so fascinating. I want to talk now more about the work ethic of a writer that it takes. Um, (laughs) If there's any writers listening, they'll start laughing at the word work ethic. Really? (laughs) Well, but, but, but you have to have so much work ethic. You have to have this determination. I mean, I think every writer thinks that their process is so, um, it's so directionless, directionless, you know, they uh-huh. just think like, oh, I'm just petering, I procrastinate, or yeah. I can never get anything out. Like, but you're, but there's a diligence behind all of that. That is really inspiring to me. So I want to know what it looks like for you. How do you go about <laughs> writing? And what processes do you have that help you get started? And what helps you get through the, the times where it's really hard for you to write or to be creative in general? Yeah. And I wish that I had like a silver bullet answer that I could tell you that here's the formula that will work. But Kate DiCamillo says this, and I totally agree with her, is you only know how to write the book that you're writing. And every book after that is different. You have to figure out how to write every book. And that for me is so true. Like one thing does not work for another and but for picture books it's for me oh how usually an idea will come first um or a character um for the books kind of like with the dress the dress and the girl that idea of a dress having a story or you know the idea of a scientist bunny you know that so I'd have the idea and that'll sit in percolate in my head for a while for a long time actually I'm I wish I was fast at this but I'm not I'm really slow and it'll just keep building and I'll keep thinking and keep thinking until finally it's like it just kind of has to spill out I don't know if that makes sense and that's when I start writing and and I don't sit down to the computer yet at that point for some reason I usually hand write like in my Mm. notebook I'll just start trying out a few different JK Rowling. No, no. Oh, I wish that would be awesome. Um, but I would just start like 
free writing just some ideas and or phrases that I like or if the ending comes first, but endings are really, really hard for me. So those usually mm. don't come first. But it yeah. is really helpful to figure out that ending first because then you know where you're going. If you don't know mm. where the ending is, then sometimes it, then you have to do a ton of rewriting because it, you end up meandering a lot. Um, so, but then I'll eventually start drafting and then it's lots of rewriting. I mean, people that can write picture books really fast. I don't actually know any of those people. <laughs> yeah. That is a true thing. That would be awesome to learn how to do. But it does take me a long time. Like I'm working on the second Charlotte book right now. And it I had a draft of that over a year ago. And I'm still working on it. You know, mm -hmm. so it's it doesn't come easy for me. <laughs> I wish it did. Well, that's what I I. I feel like there are very few writers who feel like it does. And that's what I love. I love learning about how people tick and how they're doing their creative process. And I loved the book Big Magic by Elizabeth. Oh, Gilbert. me too. So Isn't that good? Great. Yes. Yeah. But I just love how she talked about that process too. And um, anyway, that's just something I've been thinking about. So like what what are what's like a normal day for you then with uh, – motherhood and, and writing and like pitching and you're almost like an entrepreneur of your own book is what you're doing. So yeah. what's like a normal day like for you? Yeah. Um, so every day is different. I wish I, I really do like routine and I wish it, <laughs> they were all kind of the same and I could get some real routine down. And I'm actually hoping to be able to do that more once my daughter starts kindergarten in the fall. But um, for now it's, I, I love getting up really early, but now I've got teenagers and they stay up really late. It's really hard yeah. to stay up late and get up really early. Mm -hmm. And and they have early morning seminary and it's, you know, so it's hard for me to get up really early, even though that's my preference. So if I can, if I was by chance able to get to bed early, um, then I will try and get up earlier in the morning and, um, either exercise or write. Um, more often it's, I, I exercise in the morning first thing. And, um, and if I d didn't get up early enough to do it before the kids go to school, then I'll get kids off to school and then I'll go run for a little bit. And the running helps open, like it gets my mind mm. going and kind of gets the juices flowing and I love listening to music or I also love yeah. listening to audiobooks. And so I do kind of a little bit of both. Like first thing I'll, my running routine is I'll like listen to classical music for a couple minutes and I'll try and do, and I got this idea from, so I can't take credit for it from Allison from the Allison show. Cause she's awesome. Oh, yeah. And yes, so she's... when she goes running, she at first goes through things that she's thankful for and she's grateful for. And I just loved that idea. And wanted to be more grateful in my life. And so, and just realize, you know, just kind of have an attitude change. I think it's easy to get down in the dumps and be discouraged and when things aren't going great. But when I do that, I, it helps me remember that there really are a lot of things to be thankful for. So I love doing that for a few minutes and then I'll either transition to just music that's got like you know, a beat and words and stuff. And I like that if I'm looking for some ideas for books, um, not mm -hmm. picture books so much, but I am 
writing um, a middle grade novel and a YA novel right now too. And so I find a lot of inspiration in music for those and like whole scenes will come to my head like when a song starts and I'll be like, oh my gosh. And then I have to try and remember it the rest of the run and that's hard. (laughs) Yeah. Well, Stephanie Myers, I mean, speaking of her, that's what she used was influential for her. So the music, music is so awesome that way and running too. I can vouch. I mean, that is such a great way to to let that creative side of yourself open up and, and be welcome for ideas. Yeah. So I like to do that. I also like to listen to audiobooks or to podcasts. I love podcasts and I love, um, yes. you know, hearing and learning about new people and making, it's not like I make friends with them, but I feel like when I'm listening to them, but I'm oh, I thought we friends, too. So. Yes, I so, do too. Um, I, I'll do that. And then I would, I have my five-year-old, I would get her to preschool after a run and cause I had four different schools to get kids to at four different times. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh my goodness. Crazy. So it'll be streamlined a little bit more next year. It'll just be down to three schools, three <laughs> different times. So that'll be helpful. And, um, and then I usually, once she is at school, then I'll try and get, the most important thing done. And when I'm doing that, when I first get up, I go through and try and figure out what the most important things are for that day. And, you know, ideally I would have had time to like meditate and pray and read scripture and do all this stuff. And I still try and do all of that at some point during the day. And sometimes I do get to do that first thing. Um, and the days go better when I am able to do that. But the main thing is trying to, figure out either the night before, before I go to bed or first thing in the morning, what are the most important things that have to get done? And sometimes that's family related, taking a kid to the doctor or doing running errands for girls that need stuff for the school musical, you know, just stuff, family stuff that Mm -hmm. has to happen. Or it's like, I've got to send out these publicity packages or these emails, or I have to get this draft turned into my editor, you know, just whatever is most important that day. And it's different every day. So sometimes Mm -hmm. I'm writing, sometimes I'm doing marketing, sometimes I'm answering emails, it just depends. And so I try and do the things that are hardest to do with kids around during that two, two or three hours of preschool. And then, um, then I'll go get her or my daughter, and um, and now our days are going to change a lot because um, she just actually finished up preschool, and summer's summer starting. Now. Kids are getting mm-hmm. out of school this week for me, and so you know we'll, <laughs> we'll have to figure out a new routine. But it's actually easier in some ways when they're home because um, my kids are older and they're kind of self-sufficient for the mm-hmm. most part, and. So even my five-year-old can get her own breakfast. And so I can get up earlier. Less driving around. Yeah, less driving around, less time in the car. (laughs) But even afternoons, I mean, I'm one of seven. So my mom was a stay-at-home mom our entire lives. I don't know if I know anyone busier than her. Yeah. You know, even just the afternoons alone, how much you pack in with six children and all the activities and homework and practicing and family things and dinner. It's... Yeah, those from three to you know, 10 are pretty intense times. (laughs) Yeah. And right there, that's, you know, seven hours of uh, that, that alone is a full-time gig. (laughs) Yeah. It's tricky. And, you know, doing that, my, I've got three of my daughters that dance and so I'll bring my computer in the car and while they're in dancing, I'll be working, um, in the car and then, 
you know, we, you just try and fit it in when you can. And I do try not to work like after like at that bedtime hour, I, I try not to, to do work, especially when the kids are actually in bed or even if they're just in their rooms quiet, because I need that connection time with my husband to remember (laughs) that we like each other and and who, you know, check in with each other. So, um, I actually found your podcast when I was from the, uh, the technology one, because that was something, oh, really? and that's what really resonated with me is when I don't even remember if you said it or who said it, but with the technology had become a burden instead of, or it had become a great burden instead of a great help, and I was yep. really feeling dragged down by that, and mm-hmm. was trying to find a way, you know, looking for ways to, to, put that in its place so that it could be a help but it wasn't ruling my life. <laughs> so well, I'm so glad that you found that just at the right time. Yeah, and and I don't know, it's helped me a lot too, obviously, but, um, well, thanks. That's great to hear that. Kimmel, this is just, I mean, I could talk to you for a lot longer. There's still so many questions I have for you. When you, when you finish with the second book, we'll have to have you back on oh, and when, when that's ready to be published. And then I can yeah. ask you more questions sure. <laughs> that I have. Before I let you go, I want to know first where people can find you and buy your book. <laughs> and, um, oh man, I have another question sure, first though. Sure. <laughs> um, so you're, you're writing other things too, besides a uh, children's book. You, you said you're doing uh, the young adult fictions, uh-huh. right? Yep. Yep. A middle grade. That's really and exciting. Adult. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you know, um, hopefully <laughs> that's still a ways away trying until that'll come okay, to Okay. Well, maybe we'll probably. talk about that more um, the next interview that I'm already signing you up for. Um, <laughs> Great. Okay. So, so where can people find you and, and buy Charlotte the Scientist? Um, so Charlotte, you can find it anywhere books are sold. Uh, I love supporting, um, local independent bookstores. So if you can find, you can find her there and request her if they don't carry it, but she's carried at Barnes and Noble. She's on Amazon. So she's really easy to find, um, wherever books are sold. And, um, you can find me on Instagram at Camille Andros and I'm on Facebook and Twitter as well. And I have a website, uh, CamilleAndros.com. And I love hearing from readers that love Charlotte. And um, that's that's where you can find me. Yeah. Great. And, and the final question that I ask each guest is, what have you learned about yourself the past few years? Oh, that's a really good question. So I've learned <laughs> that I, I function best when I'm inspired. But for a while, I thought that meant that I had to be really, really, really busy. Um, And that's not actually good for me or anyone, I think. Mm. (laughs) But Mm. I found, I think there's, I'm well, and this is like a total work in progress, right? Trying to figure out how to do this right. But to be inspired by things that don't necessitate busyness. Does that make sense? Mm. So be inspired yeah. by good books, um, and spending time with good books or, um, you know, going to see a play or a ballet. Like I find so much inspiration there or, um, 
music, you know, listening to good music, you can find great inspiration there. And so just being able to be really intentional about how I spend my time. I love the book Essentialism. Um, that's really I've been hearing about this. Yeah, it's a great book. And he says in that book that if you don't prioritize your time, someone else will do it for you. And I yeah. lived too long being okay with that. And now I, I am trying to be much more intentional with how I spend my time and getting what really matters, you know, done and putting that first and having time to be quiet and because I can't create too in a bunch of chaos. And so it's important for me to have that quiet time to think and reflect and be inspired, but it doesn't necessarily mean being super busy. So yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad you spoke on, on that. Not great at it yet. And I'm trying. <laughs> well, I think we just have this misconception in our culture that busyness means productive. Oh gosh. Yeah. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah. I just love that you talked about that, especially because in- inherently you are a very busy woman, you know, just with your responsibilities with your family alone. And it's really nice to hear how you've learned the importance of slowing down has actually helped your work. Yeah, definitely. I think it would help anyone, you know, cause everybody's busy. Everybody has a lot going on in their yeah. lives. And so, but just taking that time to really figure out what's essential and then making that happen and letting the rest go it really works for me. Well, that is such a great way to end our interview. Camille, this has just been incredible. I'm so glad that I got to know more about you. And we are going to be best friends now. So thanks <laughs> for being on the show. Monica, so much for having me. It was wonderful to talk to you. Camille, you were so great to talk to. I really enjoyed getting to know you better. If you'd like to connect with Camille and buy her book, I've included her website and social media pages in my show notes, as well as a link to the book on Amazon, which is my favorite place to shop online, and where I got my book myself. And we really read us all the time. It's such a good book, and I am so excited for her following books to come out. You can find the show notes on my website, aboutprogress.com, and you can also find me on Instagram and Facebook at About Progress. I so love hearing from you, whether you are passing on what you liked from an episode or if you're nominating someone to be interviewed or highlighted for my Do Something campaign. You can always email me at packerprogress at gmail.com if that's a good way for you to communicate. Next week will be my special monthly episode on a theme I've been thinking about. And I, I also do my monthly do something highlight for uh, that monthly episodes as well. We're going to be talking on the theme fitness, how to use it, not abuse it with some awesome experts as guests that I think you'll enjoy hearing from. Um, as my do something highlight, I'm going to be highlighting a composer who is basing her music off of some amazing fantasy literature. So I look forward to sharing that all with you next Wednesday. Come back for that. And in the meantime, Take care of yourself.